Turn me, please, to Romans chapter 3. And I will join you. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. By the way, if you like short messages, <clears throat> Yankees have a special game today. First pitch is at 11.30. So, um, just kidding. God comes first. Don't be silly. God comes only. But, all right, Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's commit our time to the Lord. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for these powerful words. Uh, it's, it's a joy, and it's an inspiration, and it's an encouragement uh, for us to look at words like these. Your gifts, your grace, um, all that you've given us through Jesus Christ. Uh, so Lord, as we uh, take this time this morning, hopefully to understand uh, justification through faith a little deeper this morning, uh, may we just grow in our appreciation and love for you. Uh, that's, that's our desire this morning, to know you better, to walk closer with you, to be more like Jesus. Now, Lord, help us to understand your word and the depth it takes to do these things. And we ask your blessing on this time now, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I was thinking, and that's usually the start of most of my stories that don't have a happy ending for me, but I was thinking how awesome it is to be justified before God. But more than that, what I was really thinking about when I really started thinking is to be justified through faith is such an incredible, indescribable thing. And I just want to take some time this morning to just think about what that means. Because it's really incredible. When you look at God and God's word, one thing to stand before God justified, but to be justified through faith, as he said in verse 34 of what we just read, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justification is one of those, you know, theological things that we talk about, salvation and sanctification and all those shun words. And uh, to me, sometimes when I think about justification, it's one of those things where you're like, how do you define it? Like, you know what it means, but can you define it? Justification, to be justified in its, in its basic definition, is to be found when weighed or measured or examined to be fully righteous. Think about that. To be justified before God is to be found fully righteous. Another word for justified is, uh, if you look up synonyms, uh, would be vindicated. To be vindicated is when something that you've done is examined and the outcome is what you said it would be, basically. 
I did this with this expectation, and that's what came out of it. Who could be justified before God? How, how can we stand before God knowing what we know? And, and I don't want to spend time this morning. I'll just be up front. I'm probably going to have to hit some things because I can't avoid it. But a lot of times these things, you have to talk about how, how unjust we are <laughs> to really appreciate how just God has made us. If you don't understand the contrast, you, you can't fully appreciate it. But at the same time, I just didn't want to spend a lot of time this morning talking about how bad we, we are or how bad we were. Because it's kind of like, you know, I hear that all the time. Um, I get that every day in the mirror, you know. I don't need to come to church and, and, and think about how, how horrible I am. Um, or maybe worse you are. No, just kidding. The, um, but, but really, I mean, the magnitude of what God has done in justifying us. I'm standing here, I'm like beyond words. Like, I'm trying to explain what it means. And it's just, it's, it's incredible. But to be, to be justified has to include being found righteous. That's what God is looking for. Are you righteous before God? What is righteousness? Do we understand what righteousness is? Because that's how we're found when we're justified. When God makes us justified, he's looking at us and he's seeing righteousness. For us, it's basically simply defined as moral goodness. Are you morally good? If you can stand before God morally good, you can stand before God. But no one can. When righteousness speaks of God, it really speaks of everything we're not. His essential perfection is what one person called it. It speaks of God's essential perfection, his holiness, his justice, his faithfulness. To their definition, I added his impartiality. The righteousness of God is so far beyond not even what we strive to do, but we can actually comprehend is where he is at when it comes to God's righteousness. And there's no way to stand before God without any kind of righteousness. When, when you look at all the verses in the Bible and you go through the Psalms and you see all the times that someone like David appeals to God because of his righteousness, he's relying wholly and completely on the absolute goodness of God. The absolute goodness of God. No wavering, no shadow of turning, no partiality, no change. There is rest in God's righteousness. We can fully and wholly, completely rest in the knowledge of God's righteousness, in the character of God and His righteousness. We find hope in God's righteousness. Um, we, we can find peace in God's righteousness. It's the character trait of God that allows us to fully be vulnerable because we know he's good. It's the, it's the definition of God's goodness. For us, when we're trying to be righteous before God, it's going to include character things of honesty, charity, purity. These are the things that are going to be righteous in us. 
Things that we can do sometimes, but are not in our nature. We just don't exist. So Job asked the question, how can a man be righteous before God? How can a man be righteous before God? Only the arrogant thinks he can be righteous before God. You either have to deny God exists or have absolutely no knowledge of who God really is to think you can do enough to be righteous before God, to stand before him in the goodness that is required to be in his presence, the expectation that God has. In Romans 3, verse 10, let's look at verses 10 through 20. This is the bad stuff that I said I really don't want to spend a lot of time on. We go up a little bit in Romans 3, beginning of verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. No flesh will be justified in his sight. One person wrote, it is the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we are. That's really what the law does. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, Paul has a parallel writing here on the same kind of point. I think he almost explains a little better. Sometimes Romans, it kind of bounces around a little bit and gives me a headache. But in Galatians, Paul says in verse 18, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could give life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. I think the, the point is, the law should not be ignored. It has a tremendous value. But it's for this purpose, to make us recognize that we are not good enough before God. And faith is the only opportunity that we have. Faith is the only hope that we have. In talking about Abraham, what, what Paul is using as the example, and in Romans 4 he talks about this, that Abraham's faith was accounted to him as righteousness, right? It was Abraham's faith. What was his faith in? God gave him the promise 
that he would give him a seed and he would become a great nation, greater than the stars. And in that, all nations would be blessed through Abraham's faith. What was really Abraham's faith was it the, expect, was it the expectation of the, of the nation greater, more number than the stars? Or was it really based on the fact that God was going to give life out of death? God was going to bring life out of death. Abraham was so old, you could basically say his body, as far as reproductive purposes were concerned, was dead. Only God could bring life and make this promise happen. So the real faith that Abraham had was life from death. What is the faith God wants us to have in Jesus Christ? Life from death. That is where our faith really exists. Jesus Christ died on our behalf, but he rose again. That is the faith that gives us justification, is that understanding and that belief and that hope and that knowledge and that trust that Christ rose again. There's the exact parallel between Abraham being justified because of his faith and we now being justified because of what Christ has done, because we believe that he rose again. You know, early days in the early church, uh, the post-apostolic church, I don't know exactly when this started, um, but, you know, they got very confused and there was a problem for centuries of the requirement of works for salvation, right? It's, it goes on today in, in a lot of ways, but it really began in that post-apostolic first 100, 200 years or whatever when they started trying to understand what part does works play in our faith. We cannot work out righteousness, but as James said, faith without works is dead. So they took that and they got very confused. If you're not doing works, you can't be saved. Here's the thing, as I was thinking about this, I don't know if you agree or not, but there's no easier way to mask no real faith than works. I can give all the money, I can give my time, I can make donations, I can work, I can go outside, paint the building, I can do all kinds of works to make you think I have faith but it's just works. There's no righteousness in it. Only real faith that's producing works and the purpose of what I'm trying to do to bring people to God, to make people realize the love of God, that works. That works is the evidence of faith. Just doing things, just giving, it's, it's an easy way to mask no real faith. So the church got hurt. So the outside can hide the inside. But here's the thing. The inside is never hidden from God. Our insides, you can fool me all day long. I, I, I can't really judge the sincerity of your faith. If you're doing good works, I think that's great. If you're, you're loving and caring and kind and helpful in doing things, and you're living out righteousness by doing good things, it seems the evidence of God is there, but no one here can really know what's in someone's heart. But don't be fooled. God is not mocked. God sees within every heart. God sees within every heart. So where is the real faith? Is it in the trust in God? So the foundation, the foundation for justification through faith comes through this. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, which if you want to know, is happens in Genesis 15. The whole opportunity that we have, God established, this is why this is so important, the story of Abraham, because it clears up the whole miscommunication and any doubt about where law steps in for righteousness and justification. Because God 
did this with Abraham long before the law came. There was no law. So if Abraham is justified through faith before this law, the law cannot override that. The law can't change that. It can only be through faith. So God purposely chose the time with Abraham for Abraham's faith to bring about justification, his righteousness. Abraham was not a righteous man. Let's not misunderstand. Abraham was not a righteous man. But his faith, his faith, God gave him, accounted to him for righteousness. So what's the benefit of justification through faith? Well, if we turn over to Romans 5, we see it right here. Well, I'm in Galatians. That won't make sense. Hold on. Romans 5 and verse 1. Romans 5, man, if you don't spend time just studying Romans 5 regularly, you're missing out. It's my understanding I could be wrong. This was one of the major chapters in the Bible that brought about the Reformation. This is what changed Christianity in the world and stopped all the the works, salvation, and all that. Right here, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We cannot be justified before God by anything that we do. It's by faith. And and again, I just want to exalt God. I just want to praise Him and thank Him for making it that way. Doesn't the Bible warn us about boasting? Right? We are saved through faith by grace and not of works, lest any man should boast. I completely annul the righteousness that I may have had. The moment I boast, look at what I've done, God. I'm righteous before you. You realize that? The moment you can have that opportunity to say, look what I did, God. I'm righteous before you. You're no longer righteous before God. God completely removes that for us, holy and absolutely, having been justified by faith. And now the benefit, the first benefit that we have, we have peace with God. Because no man is righteous before God. No one can stand before God. In Galatians 3 that we just read, verse 14, it said that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Another benefit of being justified is we now have the, the residing, living Holy Spirit within us. You think he could live in us? without being justified first? I don't know, but it's a great question. Where can the Holy Spirit reside? In a wicked vessel? No. So when God justifies us, imparts his righteousness to us, we now have the dwelling Holy Spirit, which is a part of that. I do not want us to undervalue or neglect the magnitude of our need to be justified. If we go a little further down in Romans 5, please. Beginning in verse 16. We could just read the whole chapter, but I'm just trying to, for time's sake, let's look at verse 16 to 18. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, 
But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Let us not fail to recognize the fact that Jesus' work on the cross was righteous. Jesus' work on the cross, his suffering, the way he went through suffering, the way he did not open his mouth, the way he endured all, the way he was humble and submissive to God, the way he committed his spirit to God, the way he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. All this accounts as righteousness, righteousness of Jesus Christ. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all. Do you realize how short we are in righteousness now? Just think about Jesus on the cross being a righteous act. If that's God's definition of a righteous act, who can be saved? But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. If we go back to chapter 3 for a minute, please, and look at verse 26. Justification, our justification through faith, glorifies God and glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's righteousness, sending Christ to the cross at the right time, the propitiation by his blood, that through faith, God demonstrates that he is just. But he's also the justifier. Through faith we are justified because God and Jesus together did it all. Jesus' work on the cross allowed God to be just. Because if God is not just, he denies himself. Now he invalidates his righteousness. He has to be just. So by judging on the cross, Jesus Christ in our place, he upholds the just nature of himself. But he's also the justifier. It's magnificent. It's magnificent. And as we read earlier, it's to all and on all who believe. But now that we're justified, does that give us free reign? We still have to now try and live out this righteousness, right? We're not earning our justification. But if we're justified, there should be a change. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. It's a long read. Appreciate your patience. 1 through 18. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Speaking about how much God's grace covers sin? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? 
Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall have not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Appreciate the long read. It was all to get to verse 18. You are now slaves of righteousness. That which we did not know, that which we could not do, has been revealed to us and exists within us. And we are expected by God to be slaves. The charity, the purity, the honesty, all the goodness of God, all the goodness of God, we are expected to be owned by it. It's no longer optional. It's no longer a matter of convenience how I act out righteousness. A slave has no choice in what he does and when he does it. Whatever is the master of the slave dictates every aspect of his life. Every aspect. If the master chooses to give him liberty, then that's his choice. But don't be fooled. That's only because the master gave it to him. If he has time off, it's because the master gave it to him. And we are now slaves to righteousness with no liberty. There's no time off from righteousness. There's no break. And it shouldn't be a burden. That's the thing. It should no longer be a burden. In Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not occasionally wish for it, but the example Jesus is giving, the illustration is that it is sustenance for life. Do our hearts now crave, as part of our existence, righteousness? Is this something we're desperate for? People have different abilities with hunger and thirst. Some people can go a while. If, if, if you're like me, it doesn't take long. The hangry kicks in. It's not a pleasant thing. It's not good for you. It's not good for people around you, right? So to hunger... And thirst for something is a real desperate need. It's my sustenance. And Jesus says, 
if we hunger and thirst for it, we'll be filled. God's desire in our life is to ensure the fullness of righteousness of Christ in us. All he's asking us to do is hunger and thirst for it. Passionately, like it's life. We are not to rest on the righteousness of Christ, but we are to thirst after God's righteousness. So when we hunger and thirst for righteousness... I don't know, sometimes when I read this, maybe you have the same experience. My mind quickly thinks of righteousness around me. I hunger and thirst that there is righteousness around me. I live in a world, in a place, in people where righteousness exists. Because where there's righteousness, there's goodness. And everything is nice. That's not what Jesus is saying, is it? Am I hungry and thirsty for righteousness in my own heart? Am I desperately like I need it, like the air I breathe, crying out to God, give me your righteousness that I may live it out in the world around me? May everyone around me know your righteousness. Am I that desperate for it? Because if I'm justified, I'm made righteous in Christ, and that should be my heart. Last thought, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the justified life. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for justifying us. Thank you, God, that that includes the incredible, almost inexpressible wonder that you've made us justified simply through faith. You've taken us from a condition and a place uh, that was hopeless, not just because we were lost, but because we should never be righteous before you. But what could stand in your presence that's not righteous? But here we are. Here we are before the most holy God, looked at as righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because of our Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness passed on to us, covering us, surrounding us, in us. Lord God, may we hunger and thirst for the righteousness that you promise. Thank you, Lord God, for loving us so much that at the right time, Jesus would die on the cross for us, that we may be justified through faith. Thank you that he is our just and our justifier. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Lord bless you all. Have a wonderful week.